said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in your midst. Do you know Jesus is here today? He is here in this church. Hallelujah. This is holy ground. Jesus is here. Just reach out and touch him as he passes by. <laughs> You'll find he's not too busy to hear your heart's cry. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. Hallelujah. Glory. So, Yerabakohora. Yes, Glory to your name. Glory to your name. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. Mm. We wait on you to hear. Speak, Lord. Speak. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know, in the jet age in which we live, the 21st century Christians are loath to wait on the Lord. There are times when God wants his people to just be still and know that he is God. And the Holy Spirit has given the opportunity to do a deep work in our lives. So we invite you this morning, Holy Spirit. This service is yours. It's not mine. It's yours. So we say, have your way. Have your way.
you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In this new year, we say, Holy Spirit, have the preeminence at High Street Worship Center. When we gather together, we seek you for your leadership. Have your way. Do what only you can do. No program, no sermon can do what only you can do. And as we open up our hearts to you today, we invite you to come in. Move over me, Holy Spirit. Make my life what it ought to be. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The theme for my message this morning is the call to come up higher. Don't be looking on the wall for a PowerPoint. There is no PowerPoint this morning. <laughs> I believe God orchestrates all things. And so there's no PowerPoint and I'm trusting that's by the Lord's orchestration. My text is taken from Psalm 27. It's a wonderful psalm, and we're not going to take time to read the whole of it, but just two verses I want to underscore this morning. Verse 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, all the days of my life. Is it your prayer to be in his presence every day of 2022? All the days of my life. All the hours of my day. And all the minutes of my day. Sometimes we're focused on our devotional time and we feel God's presence, but when we get off of our knees and go to our jobs and get into the business of life, why do we think that we're not to be in fellowship with Him? He doesn't leave us when we get off of our knees. King David's prayer was, I, I want to dwell in your house all the days of my... I mean, he was a busy king. He couldn't always be in the tabernacle. But his heart and his passion was to be in fellowship with God all the days of his life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I think a lot of us are not in fellowship with him because we don't recognize that he is mo the most beautiful, incredible personality that you will ever ever, ever want to encounter. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once you taste and see, you will hunger for more and more of him and to inquire in his temple. Verse 8, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, Lord, your face do I seek. Before I preach this morning, I want to pray a prayer that the Puritans used to pray. I think we would do ourselves a favor if we dug up some of these prayers. Sometimes our praying is so shallow, but it seems the Puritans, every word that they prayed had depth and had meaning. As I read this prayer, I want you to pray it together with me. Lord, I'm now entering into your presence to hear you speak from heaven to me, to receive your reign and spiritual dew, which never return in vain. But they ripen a harvest either of corn or weeds, of grace or judgment. My heart is prepared, O Lord. My heart is prepared to learn and to love any of your words. Your law is my counselor. I will be ruled by it. It is my physician. I will be patient under it. It is my schoolmaster. I will be obedient to it. But who am I that... I should promise any service to you. And who is your minister that he should do any good to me without the grace and heavenly call? Be therefore pleased to reveal your own spirit to me and to work in me that which you require. Amen. Amen. Well, the holidays are behind us, and 2022 is before us. After this last year and the year before that, I think we're ready for a new year. We're ready to anticipate moving forward. I know a lot of people are really concerned about this uh, new Omicron variant. It seems to be spreading like wildfire, but it's spreading like cold spread. And most, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think it's like 99% of the people who get it have sniffles, a head cold, a little sore throat, but they get over it quickly. So I pray that you're not in fear and in trepidation. Of course, none of us want to catch it. But it's not the end of the world because people fewer are being hospitalized and certainly Fewer are perishing, but it's not my point to talk about COVID, although it's consumed us, it seems, over these past two years, especially the way it's been politicized. And in addition to that, as we reflect on what's going on in our world, what's going on in our country, the push for the radical leftist agenda, I don't know if any of you are aware, but in New Jersey... Some of these outgoing politicians 
who are now in a lame duck session are pushing for radical abortion legislation and wanting to push it through tomorrow. Without any prior notice, we're going to get this through. We're going to push it through so that New Jersey now will be up there with the worst of them as to how our abortion laws go. That a baby full term can now be aborted. How under heaven can civilized people think that there's something okay about killing a baby? Well, I'm not here to talk about abortion either, but just to express that all of this has so frustrated us and upset us and made us dizzy, as it were. It's befuddled us. But more than all of that, I believe that in some ways it has dulled us spiritually. And I feel that by and large there is a large segment of the body of Christ that is in somewhat of a spiritual stupor. And instead of hard times causing us to press into God and get closer to God, instead we've because of being in this stupor, we've developed an apathy and a, a lethargy and a complacency. Some of it, no doubt, is settled in because of just being weary and discouraged. And so I believe today that the Holy Spirit is issuing a clarion call for all of us as children of God to come up higher to rise above our present circumstances, to rise above all that is going on in our world and even all that is going on in our personal lives. Because when we come up higher and get a heavenly perspective, everything changes. When we come up higher and experience the reality of who Christ is in us, the hope of glory, everything changes. But I just wonder this morning how you and I are responding to the call of the Spirit to come up higher. As we turn to this new year, have we just done what the rest of the world does? Okay, it's time for a new year's resolution. What should I resolve this year? Oh, I need to do a better job of saving more money or making more money. I need to do a better job of watching my diet. I, I need to do a better job of exercising more, eating healthier, getting more sleep. They're, they're good resolutions, but you know what's wrong with resolutions? <laughs> After a few days, they're no longer kept. We need an encounter with God that transforms our very minds. And I wonder as we've approached 2022, how many of us have gotten alone with God and said, God, what do you want me to ask you for in 2022? What are your spiritual goals and ambitions? Have any of you asked that question? Have any of you been able to answer it? Thank you, I see some heads shaking and I'm not asking for answers, but this is between you and God. What have we decided to do this year differently that is going to help us get closer to God and grasp a greater revelation of who he is and who he desires to be in our lives? 
I wonder as we approach 2022 if we've heard the cry of the Spirit to come up higher or is it going to be the same old, same old in 2022? When are we going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired? When are we going to come to that place where we say, I'm tired of this status quo. I know that God has more for my life. I want to go deeper in God. I want my eyes opened. I want my ears opened. I want my heart opened to receive all that God has for me. But I want us to know this morning that we can't really go higher until we deal with the distractions that are hindering us from going higher. They need to be eliminated. We need to give attention to removing those hindrances. As the Word of God tells us in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know, all of us have a weight. Some of us have more than one weight. Something that is constantly tripping us up. Something that is weighing us down. You know, if you're running in a race, you don't, you don't put weights on your ankles and on your wrists. In fact, you dress in such a way that even the clothing that you're wearing has just minimal weight because you want to need to be free so that you could run with all of your might. You don't want to be hindered in any way. And yet, somehow, as believers, we allow ourselves to carry baggage that is hindering us from running in this race. And the amazing part of it is we're waiting for God to take it away from us. And God is saying that's your baggage and you need to strip it away. You need to get it off of yourself. Now, granted... That's why the apostle said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because in and of ourselves, we know we don't have the strength to deal with that baggage, but he does. And if we will trust him, if we will look to him, he will give us the grace and the strength to strip those things away. And the sin that does so easily beset us. How many of us know that there is no place in our lives as kingdom Christians for pet sins. I know we all have our weaknesses, but some of us think that somehow, because we're human, we could just coddle this little sin. And the truth be told, we actually indulge in the opportunities and enjoy those opportunities when they come across our path. Instead of saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm not going to allow any sin to hinder me in my walk with God. I'm not going to allow sin to become any kind of habit or stronghold in my life that is going to trip me up. I'm not going to allow it to be a cancer that spreads that ultimately will destroy me. And isn't that what happened to Samson? He was anointed, he was appointed, he had authority, he had power with God, but somehow he thought that he could coddle his lust. But the day came in his life when that cancer spread to such a degree 
And even though he thought he could shake himself, as he always did in the past, to deliver himself out of the hand of the Philistines, he remained bound. Because the strength was gone, his anointing was gone. You know, there are times that we need to look hard at our lives and realize that we are living like Samson in the lowlands of sin and compromise when God has so much more for us. It reminds me of a powerful quote by C.S. Lewis that I refer to every now and then, and no doubt some of you may recall I've quoted this more than once in sermons that I've preached over the 12 years. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when he is offering us infinite joy. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. How can we be pleased with the weak and beggarly elements of this world that can never satisfy? They are a delusion. Satan dangles those things before us and makes us think that they will bring us pleasure, that they will bring us fulfillment, that they will make us feel better. But no sooner do you indulge in them, you realize how empty you are. And so the enemy speaks again, and you think, well, let me go a little deeper. And the deeper you go, the more lost you become. I wonder what it is about our walk with the Lord that makes us so careless and so nonchalant. You know, we can't go higher if we're going to live in compromise. We can't go higher if we remain in our lethargy and complacency and apathy and we're indifferent to the things of God. It amazes me when yet at the same time we are also so passionate about other things, things that interest us. We can't spend 15 minutes in devotions. And yet how many Christians who can't spend 15 minutes in devotions, we're able to spend three hours watching the Cowboys crush the Eagles last evening. No amens, but there could be an ouch, right? Or for others of us, maybe it's spending three hours binging on our favorite Netflix series. But we're too busy to spend 15 minutes with the Lord. Don't we understand that our hobbies, our jobs, all these things that we pour so much of our time, our energy, our resources into, they're all temporal? They're passing away. John tells us in his epistle, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And while we're engaged in such frivolity, and futility before us are the issues of life and death. And our eternal destiny is being weighed in the balance. On Thursday night, I had to do a memorial service for a very dear friend. And I reminded the people that were there 
that on this earth, we're not placed here just to eat, drink, and be merry. And I hear people say, I just want to suck out of life every experience that I can have. Well, if God is your priority, that's, that's good. <laughs> but I think the more God becomes our priority, the less of life we, wants to su- we want to suck. <laughs> you, you know, we, we, we have this expression that we've glamorized, carpe diem, seize the day. But do we understand that life on this earth is not about seizing the day and the material things and the pleasures and the lust that this world offers to us, but rather it is only a dressing room for eternity? The years that we live on this earth are a mere dressing room for eternity, and we're living like... We're going to live forever, and that's all that matters is this life on this earth. We need a new set of eyes, Christian friends. We need a heavenly perspective. If we're going to come up higher, we need to see things differently because eternity lies before us, and how we spend our eternity is dependent upon how we live here on this earth. Now, I'm not talking about salvation. I know that God's grace is free, and when we accept Jesus Christ into our hearts, that he's forgiven us, and if we've genuinely been regenerated and born by the Spirit of God, then our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But you don't forget about what you do on a daily basis because what we do on a daily basis is being recorded and one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for how we spent every hour of the 24 that are given us each and every single day. What we've done with the money God has entrusted to us. What we've done with the talents and the skills and the gifts that he's given us. What we've done to advance his kingdom. We will give an account. And based on that, we will receive a reward or the Bible says there will be loss. Because all of those works will go into the fire. And only that which remains... Gold, silver, precious stones, that which was done for God, that which is done for His honor and His glory, that which was done in His name, that which was motivated by Him and not our selfish pursuits. You know, you you could put a million dollars into this church today, but if it is by the wrong motivation, that is going to burn up when you get to heaven and there will be no reward. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount about three basic activities that all disciples, all disciples, every disciple. Are you a disciple today? Well, this includes you. And these three activities in the Sermon on the Mount, which are the constitution and bylaws of the kingdom, that means that is what is to govern us. You know how the United States has a constitution and bylaws? And amendments, these are the laws that are to govern our land. Dare I say it, 
It's being ignored. But nevertheless, as kingdom people, we dare not ignore how we're to be governed by the word of God. And Jesus said that when you as my disciples pray, in other words, it's expected that you will pray. Not if you pray, when you pray. When you as my disciples give, not if you give, when you give. It's expected that kingdom people are generous people. Can I go a step further? Kingdom people are people who believe in the word of God and believe that the first tenth of our income belongs to him. And so before we pay anything else out, we say, God, this first tenth belongs to you. And isn't God generous? He lets us keep the other 90%. And he shows us that with that 90%, we get far more than 100% because he stretches the dollars. When you put God first, you are never left in the arrears. And there are so many in this church who've given testimony after testimony after testimony of how God proves himself faithful when we give him first place in our finances and when we give. But then he also said something that we don't hear much about. He said, and when you fast, fast, what's that mean? Run? <laughs> uh, I bet there are so many in Christian circles that think that's probably what it means. Oh, I got to do something fast for Jesus. No, when you fast, when you say that I'm setting myself apart for God for a season, and in this season, I am going to eliminate food. Now, we're going to get into this in a minute. Don't get real nervous. Because we're launching our 21-day fast tomorrow, and I'm not expecting anyone to go 21 days without food. Although there have been people, as we know, and perhaps some of you in your very own lives, have fasted for more than 21 days without food. Moses, Elijah, Jesus fasted 40 days without food. Moses did it without water. Of course, he was on the mount with God, and I think there was some supernatural grace that was given to him. But I'm getting off my point this morning. What are we doing, and how are we stepping up our game in these spiritual disciplines to say, God, I want 2022 to be better than 2021 and 2020 because I want to go deeper in you. What are you requiring of me that is going to make me perhaps give more, pray more, and fast more? I'm going to leave the first two alone, and we're just going to talk about fasting. Fasting is so important because this is a time that is set apart for us to seek the Lord. We can't go up higher if we're not going to seek the Lord. You know, we all say, oh, I want to get closer to Jesus. Oh, I want, I want to grow. I want to get more mature in Jesus. That, that doesn't come by osmosis. 
That comes by picking ourselves up by the scruff of our neck and exercising ourselves in the ways of godliness and engaging even in this discipline of fasting. Two Sundays ago, Gwen paved the way for today's message when she spoke about the woman with the issue of blood. If it was the first time you heard the story, you learned that this woman was in desperate straits. She said, it's now or it's never. But she had to risk laying aside pride. She had to subject herself to the possibility of being shamed, being castigated, being cast out of the temple. She had to risk rejection. If you missed that sermon, get onto our website and... and, uh, Listen to Gwen's message. It was a powerful word. But none of it mattered because she had set her sights on a goal. I need to touch the hem of his garment because if I touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. She was all in. There was no compromise. There were no ands, ifs, or buts about it. But there was a price that had to be paid. The tragedy of 21st century Christianity, especially in the West, you know, in the East and in Africa and in other nations like that where they, they, they don't have the abundance of materialism that blinds them like it blinds American Christians, those are people that are in passionate pursuit after God. We have vehicles that bring us to church in comfort of heat and air conditioning, but in those countries, they will walk for miles in any kind of weather because they want to be in the house of God. And they're willing to stay there for hours without food because they're hungry for God. But in America, if a service goes beyond an hour and a half, you see half of the church exiting because, hey, I've got... Places to go, people to see, the football game is on, I can't miss it. How hungry are we for God and how willing are we to pay the price? I want to ask us all a question this morning. What do we desire from God in this new year and how badly do we want it? Is it worth paying the price? And I'm suggesting to you by the word of God this morning that that price is fasting. Do you remember the man at the pool of Bethesda? He lay there helpless and hopeless for 38 long years. You think after 38 years, hey, there's no more hope. This guy is not gone. I'm sure he laid there thinking, well, I'll live the rest of my life here. Because every time the water's troubled, I don't have someone who's going to get me there before everybody else gets there. But one day he encountered Jesus, and Jesus got to the very core of the issue when he asked him this question. Will thou be made whole? Do you really want to get well? That's a question all of us need to ask ourselves today. I know we have these these aspirations, but sometimes they're just so shallow. Oh, Jesus, I want to get closer to you. Oh, Lord, I want to love you more. But what are we doing about it? How are we exercising ourselves in a direction that will allow us to get more of God? 
We're, we're bound by habits, but how badly do we want those habits to be destroyed? Fasting will break the bondages in our life if we will seek the Lord with all of our heart. How desperate are we for that healing? How desperate are we for the salvation of our loved ones? Are we desperate enough to fast and to pray? Dwight L. Moody said this, if you say I will fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. And don't we hear Christians who say that? Oh, fasting is something that's very personal. I only do it when the Spirit of God leads me. Well, I guess there's something wrong with the thousands of churches around the world who in January establish that this is the time for us to consecrate ourselves as we enter into a new year, to set ourselves apart, to seek God, to put away the distractions, to put away the hindrances, and to say, Lord, I have set my face like a flint, and I will seek you in this season. To our shame, I believe that Moody points to our carnality when he says you're too cold and too indifferent to take the yoke upon you. Didn't Jesus say my yoke is easy and my burden is light? You say, Pastor, are you talking about fasting? Yeah, I'm talking about fasting. And trust me, I know you will have some miserable days, especially in the beginning of your fast. For those of you who are going to decide at least for part of the 21 days to to go without food, even for one day. It gets pretty miserable. I mean, if you're used to eating breakfast and lunch and you haven't done that by the time dinner comes, I mean, you're, you're going to be a raving maniac. You need to get food in your body. I have a son that we uh, used to tease that when the cowbell goes off, you better give him some food or he gets cranky. Food is something that we crave. God put that instinct in us because it's what sustains our existence. We need food. But did not the word of God say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God? And when we fast, we are eliminating the physical food so that we could focus our attention on the spiritual food that enters into us and feeds and nurtures our soul in helping us to accelerate what God is desiring to do into bringing us into the fuller place of destiny and purpose in God. Fasting is so clearly taught in the Word of God. It's been practiced by Christians down through the ages. And yet it's still one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in our lives. And you know, part of the problem may be that we only talk about it in January. But I always share with you, God isn't only calling us to fast in January. He's calling us to a fasted lifestyle. There's something about how we are to live as Christians that we are to exercise ourselves in such a way that we follow the commandment of Jesus. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Not just in January, 
That's every day of our life. Deny ourselves. Deny our passions. Deny our lust. Deny what we think, what we feel, what we want. Sometimes denying our lips because we want to blurt out and say something. Deny yourself. That's the path to holiness and to godliness. Fasting is not in vogue in Christian circles. The devil is going to fight you tooth and nail. And I believe even as I'm preaching this word right now, there's a resistance in the spirit that is saying, why do we have to be a church that does 21-day fast? I know churches only do three days. Why, why don't we do three days? Well, if they only want a three-day blessing, God bless them. I want a 21-day blessing. I want a real breakthrough. And I'm not saying that because during the course of the year, God may call you to a three-day fast. You need to be obedient to what God is asking you to do. But the point I'm wanting to make here is that it's amazing that in the body of Christ, Christians are just fasting. Ugh. Reminds me of my pastor friend. I said, how do you feel about fasting? I hate it. And I admit I have a love-hate relationship with it. But the more I practice it, the more I love it because I see the spiritual benefit of it. You know, there are some things that we can only get through fasting that is not available to us any other way. You know, the disciples came to Jesus once and could not cast out a demon and said, Lord, you gave us authority over demons and we've been healing the sick and doing this miracle and that miracle. Why couldn't we deal with this? This kind cometh not out except by prayer and fasting. There are some strongholds that can only be delivered through fasting. And until we lay hold of that, we will never come to the place where God is calling us to be. Uh, I, I, I want to get this point in because it just amuses me and grieves me all at the same time. That our world, unsaved people have latched on to the benefit of fasting. And now it's the craze. It's a fad. It's called intermittent fasting. You don't eat for 16 hours and the other eight hours you're allowed to eat. But that does miracles for your body. It cleanses your body. It heals your body. If you have sickness, it makes it all better. It's been proven medically that it's a wonderful thing to do. But if the world has laid hold of this and is willing to do it, we as kingdom people, why are we so turned off? Why are we, I can't take this 21-day fast? When God is saying, if you only knew the blessing that I want to pour out upon your life, the greater authority and anointing that I want to give you, the way I want to accelerate the miracles and blessings that I want to come to you, but they only come through fasting. See, the reality is Christianity has always been a religion of sacrifice. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And no, this has nothing to do with our salvation. We can't earn or merit our salvation. If you try to get brownie points with God by fasting, it doesn't work. But there is a place for sacrifice in our life as disciples of Jesus Christ. There's a place for the cross in our life as disciples of Jesus Christ. And what's the cross? It's an instrument of death. <laughs> the cross is an instrument of death. 
The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 14, a Christianity without a cross is not a Christianity at all. And I know that there is a gospel that is being preached today. Oh, come to Jesus and you're going to just have a happy dance right into heaven. The devil is a liar. You come to Jesus and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In fact, those that seem to be closest to God are those who at times go through the deepest waters. Those who have the greater calling of God on their life are those that go through deeper heartache and affliction. And maybe you're one of them today. Rejoice because I know God has something really, really, really special for you if you will endure, if you will persevere, if you will trust, if you will obey. The blessing will come. The blessing will come. Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And yet, we want to remove the sacrifice from Christianity. Jesus paid it all. I live by grace. I, I don't have to do anything. I just go on my way and rejoice that Jesus is my Savior. Well, you go on rejoicing, but you're not going to get any depth in God. Andrew Mary said this about fasting and prayer. Prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Letting go of that food. Letting go of those hunger pangs. Fasting helps express, deepen, confirm our resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain the prize that God has for us. And for his kingdom. Sing Yang Tang in his book, Disciplines of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. Fasting is a most tangible and practical way of surrendering to God and allowing the Holy Spirit more control of our lives by giving up food. The very sustenance of life. During a fast, we surrender the control over our own existence. And we say, God, here it is. I'm yours. You see, fasting makes us weak. Fasting makes us dependent. We come running to God and saying, God, I need you. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And this is what I wanted to say a moment ago and lost my train but when God calls you to a fast, he will give you the grace to endure it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. There are some rough spots. But the blessing and the glory, your mind will get clearer than it's ever been. You will be more in tune with the Holy Spirit. Revelation will start coming to you like it's never come. The blessings of fasting, we have no idea and I pray that this annual corporate fast would not be something that we shy away from, that we shun, but it's an opportunity for us to get refocused, to get recalibrated, to reset, to disengage from those things that are hindering us and to lay hold of this opportunity to get closer to God. Fasting is about one thing. We read it in our text this morning. One thing I ask of the Lord. That is one thing that I will seek after. You can't do that without prayer. 
And one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of Christians make in fasting is somehow they endure the discipline of going without food, but they do it without praying. And congratulations, you've just experienced a good diet. You've lost a few pounds. But spiritually, going without food and not praying is a worthless, futile exercise. We need to get our focus on God. And part of that focus is abstaining from food, but it needs to be accompanied by prayer. Seeking God also implies fervency. You know, when you lose something, what do you do? If it's important, I mean, you turn the house upside. Where is that? Turning the mattress up. Did it fall between the sofa? I mean, this is important. I've got to find it. And yet we come to God. Father God, would you please help me in this area? Father God, I thank you that you can do anything. I think you get the picture, don't you? Where is the passion? Where is the fervency? James says it's the effectual fervent. That means red hot prayers. It's the prayers that our Nigerian and Ghanaian brothers and sisters pray when they get before God. They don't come, Father God. Oh God, holy God, we seek your face. We come to you with hunger. We come to you with desire. We come to you with passion. That's the kind of praying that God hears and that God answers. And I pray that during this fast, we will come to God with fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. And on that note this morning, I, I just want to give some practical thoughts about this 21-day fast, especially for any of you who may be sitting here and you're really not even familiar with this uh, discipline of fasting. Also, I want to mention that there are handouts on the table that also uh, will prove to be helpful to you. But fasting should be engaged by those of us who are hungry for the Lord, but there are some caveats. One of them is, if you're a mother, pregnant, or nursing, fasting is not for you. If you're someone that has a serious physical sickness, like diabetes, fasting is not for you. If you're suffering with an eating disorder, fasting is not for you. Fasting is not for small children, although I think there are ways that we could allow our kids to engage in the discipline of fasting by saying there are things that you could withhold from your life. Maybe you're not going to be playing on your tablet for six hours a day. We're going to limit it to one hour a day. But on that note, let me also say, and I say, said this, and I, I don't know if I've said it every year of our fast, but it bears repeating Fasting is, we like to turn it into, oh, I'm going to fast TV. I'm going to fast social media. Biblical fasting is abstaining from food. Amen. Whether you're going to do that for a whole day, for two days, three days, for one meal. Amen. It's fasting from food, abstaining from food. And how you fast is between you and the Lord. I know this is a corporate fast, and we're in the spirit, know that in these next 21 days, all of us, at some point during our day, are exercising ourselves in such a way that we are fasting. We are abstaining from food. 
whatever that might be. You know, there are several different kinds of fasts, and people use every which combination. There is a full fast that is no food and only water. We mentioned that briefly. There is a juice fast where people only drink juice, no solid food. And those juices are not sugary juices, high C, but they're vegetable and fruit juices that are hopefully organic and healthy for you. Not to mention the physical benefit of what that is doing in cleansing your body. And if you're a serious faster, within the first three days, you're going to get a miserable headache. But I want to assure you, you're not dying. Your body is detoxifying. And that is a good thing. That is a healthy thing. If you press through that, you will find that all of that dissipates. And there's a comfortability in what you're doing. Then there's the Daniel fast, what we call this 21 days. A Daniel fast because Daniel fasted for 21 days and he ate no pleasant food. So when we talk about a Daniel fast, we talk about engaging in a fast where we eat no meats, no sweets, no treats, no bread, plant-based foods only, and water only. Now, I get a kick out of the Daniel fast because since it's really become popular in Christian circles, people have written books about the Daniel fast and the recipes. You wouldn't even know you were on a fast. You would think you were eating in the finest restaurant. You say, I'm on the Daniel fast. You're on the Daniel fast, all right, but... Fasting is sacrifice, and if you don't feel some kind of pain here, some kind of something going on here, I'm missing something, then again, there's not a true fast, because true biblical fast is depriving ourselves and sacrificing. And I encourage you, even though fasting social media is not real fasting, but while you're fasting food, get rid of that distraction. You know, I've actually been looking forward to this 21-day fast so I could just let Facebook go for 21 days. You know, sometimes as a pastor, I I feel responsible to check in to see what's going on with my church family. Be surprised how much your pastor can learn about you on Facebook. (laughs) But there are also ways that I hear about your needs and what's going on in your life, how I could be praying for you, how I can encourage you, etc. But by and large... Social media becomes a huge distraction. There are some people that are so addicted to it that they're on it all day long, and they're just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. What is that doing for your spiritual life? But if you lay aside social media and you take uh, that hour that I'm not going to eat, but I'm going to open my Bible, I'm going to pray, God is going to do wonderful things for you. So denying our bodies what it craves will result in great spiritual blessing. There's any number of ways to do it. You skip certain meals, you eliminate certain pleasurable foods from your diet, coffee, desserts, that's my weakness. But there's sacrifices that we make because we want more of God. Some people fast certain times of the day from sunrise to sunset. I was uh, reading about one pastor who is encouraging his church family on this 21-day fast not to eat between the hours of 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., not to eat anything. Drink, yes, water, but don't eat anything during those hours. I believe that 
that is really a true, genuine fast. But then after six, you can eat. But not like our Muslim friends do when they fast during Ramadan. They fast every day for how many days is it? 40? I don't recall how many. But then every night they have a feast and a banquet. At six o'clock, if that's the way you want to do it, don't gorge yourself. Take what you need to sustain your existence. But keep in mind, it's the sacrifice that I'm making because I want to draw near to God. God is pleased with the sacrifice that we're making because he's seeing we're hungry for him more than we're hungry for our natural food. You know when God called Moses up to the mountain to meet with him? That Moses waited six days without food, without interaction from anyone. But God was looking at Moses to see how hungry and how desperate he was. I think in Moses' heart, he was saying, God, I'll stay here until the day I die. But I'm going to meet with you and you're going to meet with me. It's the heart of Jacob. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. That's the kind of passion, that's the kind of desperation we need as people of God if we're going to get out of this funk that the world is in and the church at large is in, in this delusion of going through the motions but not knowing the reality of God, not knowing the depth of God, not knowing the peace of God, not knowing the joy of God, not knowing the power of God and the anointing of God. We need to set ourselves apart. And seek his face. And ultimately, in conclusion, I want to say fasting is one thing. It's putting your focus on God. John Piper said, the heart of fasting is about our longing for more of God. It's not getting God's attention. God already has his focus on us. Rather, it's getting our attention focused back on God. Just because we come to church, just because we go through the motions, doesn't mean that we have a galvanized focus on God. How are we to live our lives? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Not just on Sunday morning, but every moment of every day. So what do we need this morning? We need to say, Lord, send your fire. Consume all the dross. Fill me with passion. Fill me with power so that I could serve you, that I could love you the way you've called me to love you, that I could be all that you've called me to be for your honor and glory. Amen. Amen. As a closing prayer, we're going to sing that song, Send the Fire. I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing this as a prayer and ask the Spirit, as we prayed earlier in the service, Holy Spirit, come. That's the fire. It's the Holy, Holy Spirit who comes to purge and to sanctify and to make us all that God has called us to be. Let's sing it as a prayer together.